0: You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website libertyfamilychurch.net.au I want to I pose a question today. Who's Who's on the throne of your life? Who's on the throne of your life? Is it you? Or is it... Jesus. Life's, life's always lived best, life's always lived best when we submit our lives to the King. And life quickly goes pear-shaped when we sit on the throne and go it alone. You know, in our journey in God's story thus far, we've seen over and over and over and over and over and over and I could keep going over and over and over, we've seen it so often that things have gone terribly wrong for Israel, God's people, when they've gone their own way, when they've trusted in their own wisdom, when they've lived as if they themselves are God. Because in a sense, that's what, when we choose to go our own way, that's what we're actually doing. We're living as though we're God. We're God of our own life. Now, refreshingly, last week when we were in the book of Joshua, we explored the remarkable events of Joshua 6 where Joshua followed a very bizarre battle plan. You can read it during the week if you want to be refreshed on it, but it was a truly bizarre battle plan that God gave him to follow and because he followed it and because he obeyed, Joshua was able to successfully lead Israel in taking the promised land. Joshua obeyed. Then the Israelites heard Joshua's recounting what they were to do, and they listened and they obeyed, and they did just what they said they were going to do. Israel were blessed, and they too were strong and courageous because they chose to trust in their mighty God. And wasn't it good to be on a real up in God's story last week? Wasn't it? It was good after all the downs. Well, you can probably guess what I'm about to say right now, can't you? It's been a pattern. It's been a consistent pattern. In the very next book of the Bible, moving from Joshua to Judges, we see very quickly Israel fall back into their old patterns. And again, we see that the consequences are truly disastrous for God's people. Just want to take a very quick background look at the book of Judges. So the book of Judges, Jewish tradition would acknowledge Samuel as the author of Judges, also the author of 1 and 2 Samuel. And Samuel, if we read 1 Samuel, was actually the last of the Judges. As Pastor Chuck Swindoll from the States says, he was one of the special leaders whom God raised up during this time period to rescue his people. Now, when you think of a judge, what do you think of? A fancy headdress? Some flowing white locks? I don't know what they're called. What are they actually called? A wig. Is that it? Okay. See, I thought judges do fancy things. I thought they would have had a fancy name for it. But okay, a wig. They have a beautiful wig. And that's what we think of, don't we? But... Judges of this day were a whole lot different. Sure, they did, in a sense, preside over and help to settle legal issues. They did do that. But their responsibilities weren't just limited to those of legal matters. They had military responsibilities. They had administrative responsibilities over the nation of Israel as a whole. And as, as Chuck Swindoll pointed out, they were appointed by God to rescue his people and actually to, to guide them and help them in following his commandments. Which, who remembers, commandments are not bad things, they're great things for our good, for keeping us on the right path of being able to be close with God. Now, a very quick read of Judges shows us that while there are a few decent Judges, overall, the judges in this period are not great. That would be the understatement of the century. In fact, they're far from great. They are far removed from the strong, faithful, overall leaders that Israel had been used to up until this point, such as Abraham, Moses and Joshua. And the character and obedience of these judges or on the whole lack of, had a profound effect on the character and obedience of the people of Israel. Judges chapter 2 verse 11 to 13 provides a pretty good summary, really, for where we find Israel at at this point, reading verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. Now, that's a pretty big shift, isn't it? Like Joshua, we'll do whatever you say, God. You tell us to climb that mountain, we will climb that mountain. You tell us to go around blowing our horns and then shout, and you'll knock the walls down? Yeah, cool, we'll do that. They've gone from this, just radical obedience to God, to all of a sudden saying, yeah, nah, we're not gonna do that. We'll go our own way. We know what's best. We can can sort this out. That's a pretty big shift, and it's tragic. It's tragic, tragic stuff. And as we'll see, this was behavior. This was sin, rebellion against God. That's what sin is that brought about serious consequences for Israel. Now, we've been looking at some of their Bible Project resources and the Bible Project, in their Judges Overview video, they say that progressively, in, if you read through Judges, you see that bit by bit, they get worse. The Judges get worse and worse. Israel's Judges, at the start, they're, they're pretty good, as they've written up there, you can see that. Then, they're just okay. Then they're bad, and when we say bad, think really bad. And then worse, when I say worse, think like about as bad as you could possibly think. That's kind of how it goes. Now, you've got good examples. In that first section, there's a wonderful woman by the name of Deborah. Deborah is a prophetess, and you can read about her in Judges chapter 4 and 5. And Deborah kind of followed in the way of Joshua and those before, and she obeyed God. She helped lead Israel to victory over a fierce commander called Jabin and his army, Sisera, and she showed great compassion and care for God's people when she, as she puts it herself, this is her words in Judges 5-7, when she arose as a mother in Israel. Deborah really was. She was the epitome of a wonderful spiritual mother for many daughters and many sons of Israel in her day. But you you only need to read on a little bit further in God's story and you'll discover, man, some of these judges are bad. They are not good. They're not okay. They're really bad. Take Jephthah, for example. You can read his story in Judges 11 and 12. He was a judge for a period of six years, six years, not six, and he was tasked with leading the Israelites in this key battle against Ammon. Now, he did some good and wise things, and yet he also did some foolish and truly tragic things. And there's one foolish and truly tragic act that stands out right above the rest. This this leader of Israel, he made a vow to the Lord, which, you know, can sometimes be a good thing, can't it? He said, God, if you give us victory, I am going to sacrifice the very first thing that comes out to greet me from my household when I return from battle. You think, okay, it's pretty good. Maybe a, a pig, maybe a goat, I don't know, what, what, who knows what it would be. Anyway, so this is his promise. He, he was going to say, here's my offering to you, God. You've been faithful, and here's my thanks to you. The only problem was, who came to greet him as soon as he came back from the battlefield? His only daughter, playing the tambourine, singing, thanking God for the victory. And now, you'd think, wouldn't you? You'd think, okay, Yahweh, God, <laughs> you wouldn't want me to do that. Like, I'll, I'll find something else and sacrifice it. Like, as if you'd want me to sacrifice my own daughter. And you'd then go and offer something else, wouldn't you? That's what wisdom would say. But here's the thing, and, and this, this in and of itself really highlights just how far Israel have fallen, right? This highlights... Just how far they've gone in this downward spiral of sin and separation from God. Even one of Israel's key leaders at the time doesn't even know the character and the heart of his own God that he's following. Like, that's it in a nutshell. One of Israel's leaders tasked with, hey guys, follow me as I follow Je- uh, followed Yahweh at the time, even he doesn't even know the very character. And And as a result, this foolish judge goes through with his promise, eventually sacrificing his own daughter. Now, we hear that today and we go, that is seriously messed up, and it is. And the thing that's important as we read Scripture, remember, not all Scripture is prescriptive, which means God's not saying, go and do likewise but it's descriptive it's historical it's painting a picture of events that have occurred in the past yeah so notice if you read that you'll notice god doesn't say sacrifice for me your daughter he doesn't say anything like that he just chooses in his own lack of wisdom and foolishness to actually do that and in doing that actually sin against god so the 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 important thing too like to our ears it's really foreign but remember why were the Canaanites brought under judgment by God? Because of their idol worship and their child sacrifice. This was a common thing in the day. So it's foreign to us, and he was foolish to follow it, to bring on it to God, but it was a common thing of the day. Regardless, it's a super tragic, tragic event. And you only need to read on in those final chapters of Judges to see that, believe it or not, and I'm not going to share some of the stuff because, quite frankly, it's like Game of Thrones stuff. Um, It's full-on, it's horrific, and it causes your stomach to turn. So I'm not going to share that today. But if you want to read it, you can go and read it yourself. But you wouldn't think it could get any worse than that. It does. It gets far, far, far worse. So there you go. If you're intrigued about Judges, you can go and read it some other time. In short, it gets worse. And so the judges themselves, they're on this downward spiral. And as I said before, as the leader goes, so go the people. They are on a downward spiral too. God's people on a the whole, they've turned. They've turned from trusting in him and following him and obeying his commands. And as a result, they're spiraling deeper and deeper and deeper into sin and depravity. And as they're doing that, they're going further and further and further away from their God. And this is a cycle that we see over and over again through judges and, as we've seen already, through scripture as well, through God's story. There's, um, there's a picture just up there from the Bible project. And here's what happens. You know, Israel sins and then God... In judging them for their sin and correcting them for going that wrong way, he actually allows them to be oppressed by the Canaanites. We see this pattern over and over in Judges. And eventually, Israel see the error of their ways and then they repent. And who knows when someone turns back to God, what's God quick to do? Quick to deliver, quick to restore. And that's what he does. And then Israel enter into a season of peace, albeit very short, in Judges. Yeah, that's right. Things are good. Things are going well. All is right until they then sin again and the cycle continues. Now, I want to bring all of this home for us. And a key phrase in Judges, towards the end of Judges, really, really is key in applying judges to our own hearts because that's what we're that's the aim of scripture isn't it it's not about oh look at those foolish people over there it's like hang on which foolish person am i in this story and how is this going to transform my heart so i can follow you better god so i can know you more so i can enjoy you more so i can share your hope and life with others around me well, that's that's why we're digging into god's story and there's a key phrase that's repeated over and over and over again, and it's key. Over and over again, the writer of Judges records these words or similar, and I'm reading Judges 21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There was no king in Israel. When Samuel recorded the history of Israel in the land of Canaan, which is where we've been since they've come into the Promised Land, Joshua and Judges now, it's the period of Judges, he was writing and reflecting back. So he's writing and reflecting back on this time, recording the history, and the time at which he was writing it, there were kings in Israel. So he was kind of like, this happened because there were no kings. There was no one... On the throne looking after them. And we're almost there in God's story. Ruth, next week, and 1 and 2 Samuel, and 1 2 Kings are, are coming up. And they're all accounts that are either preparing the way for a king or explaining what happens when kings are sitting on the throne of Israel. And Samuel writing these words over and over is pointing us to a really important truth. And It's an important truth for the nation of Israel to be reminded of back then. They needed to recognise it as they reflect on the tragedy of sin, like that's judges, summed up in three words, tragedy of sin. And it's an important truth for us as we seek to apply judges to our own hearts. If God isn't on the throne of our lives as king, we're in serious trouble. If God isn't on the throne of our lives as king, we're in serious trouble. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project puts it this way. He says, The book of Judges is very disturbing and violent. It tells the tragic tale of Israel's moral corruption, of its bad leadership, and basically how they became no different than the Canaanites. It has value as a tragedy. It's a sobering explanation of the human condition and ultimately it points out the need for God's grace to send a king who will rescue his people. You see, friends, the Israelites needed rescuing from themselves and you and I, we too need rescuing from ourselves. Like the Israelites, we're so good at trusting in ourselves, aren't we? In our in our society today, our postmodern world where you know best. It's all about you. If that's true for you, then that's good for you, but this is my truth and you know like this is the kind of world we're living in right now. We're so good, we're wired. Our sinful desire says trust in yourself at the expense of anyone else. Yeah? Especially a god. We're so prone to chase after and worship other idols. Before God, whether it be fame, fortune, power, control, comfort. And here's the sad thing in doing so, we actually never truly, never fully, like all in, completely all in. Chips push right to the center, all in. We never truly are all in with Jesus. We're never truly fully submitted to Him as Lord. And the sad thing is, all these attempts to find satisfaction and identity and and meaning and purpose in all these other things only ever, they might be good for a while, they might satisfy us to a degree, but ultimately they only ever lead to disappointment, dissatisfaction and disconnection from the only true source of satisfaction, identity and joy, and that is God himself. Now think about this, like the Israelites, we're so good at compromising, compromising. Little by little, little by little, step by step, we compromise on different things as we kind of feel this pressure to fit in, don't we? We feel this pressure to fit into a world that increasingly is very different from God's ideal world of peace and joy and love and, and all those sort of things. And we compromise once, and then we compromise again. And before we know it, we find ourselves in this frustrating sin cycle as well. And and we just find ourselves lost. We, we don't know how to break out of it. We just And our joy and all of that sort of thing, just like for the Israelites, is snatched away. Just like that, isn't it? We're not experiencing the happiness and freedom that this kind of living, the kind of living for yourself, how you see fit, actually promises. And we're disconnected from the one who calls us, what does he call us to be? In but not of the world, for our own good. And that is, of course, God himself. And just like the Israelites, we're so good at forgetting, aren't we? We're so good at forgetting Now, if we're here today or watching online and we've known Jesus for a while, we are probably we've probably had experiences before where we've like we've really celebrated Jesus and been so grateful, just like last week with that wonderful testimony, where we're we're so good at at celebrating and thanking God, and then a few weeks later, just forgetting and and even questioning, does God even care? Are you even there, God? Like my life's turned to rubbish, and do you care? And God's going, hang on, guys. Remember two weeks ago, like, I got you a, yeah. You know, before too long, we find ourselves forgetting about his grace and goodness, and we, as we're sinfully wired to kind of do, we start to look within to provide our needs, to meet our needs and, and provide. And we forget, and we start trusting in our own wisdom, and our own intellect to make a way. And as we do that, we move further and further and further away from connection with the only true wise one in existence, God himself. In short, like the Israelites, we're so good at going our own way, trusting in our own wisdom, doing what we see to be right in our own eyes. Yeah? And the problem is with that, when we go our own way and don't follow God, we sin, and before too long, we can find ourselves, compromise after compromise, in a place where we're just lost and stuck on <laughs> what one writer I've heard before calls a crazy cycle. And you know, like the Israelites who were looking at that time, well, maybe not those at the time, but reflecting on a time where they needed a righteous judge. They needed a good king who would actually come and lead them and care for them and nurture them and show them the way by example to follow after Yahweh. Just like Israel, the Israelites at the time needed that, we too need to look to and submit our own lives to a righteous judge, a good king in the fullest sense of the word, who can actually rescue and satisfy the deepest desires of our hearts. And there's only one king in existence who can do that, and that is King Jesus. Jesus is the only true king. He's the only king who ever lived and walked in this world and lived with complete righteousness. Complete integrity, a righteous life. Jesus is the only king who, when tasked with actually making those difficult calls, that if you read through Judges, you'll see the judges had to make at different periods in time. He always makes and always made the perfect call. Calls that lead to blessing and life and joy for all people. Jesus is the only king who can be truly trusted. He's the only one who's faithful. He's the only one who will never leave your side. He's the only one who won't even contemplate compromising if there was something better on offer. He is faithful and thick with you to the very end. He's the only king who can satisfy the deepest longings and desires of our hearts. And I want to suggest, friends, for all these reasons, and countless more, like you can probably think of 50 other reasons why Jesus alone is the best king. But for all these reasons and more, Jesus is the only one, the only one who deserves to sit on the throne of people's hearts. Jesus is the only one who deserves to sit on the throne of my heart. And Jesus is the only one who deserves to sit on the throne of your heart too friends I said at the start life's always lived best when we submit our lives to the king and life quickly goes pear shaped when we sit on the throne and go it alone and I want to just put that question out again as I close now with, with the one that I opened with and it's who is on the throne of your life? Who's on the throne of your life? Is it you or is Jesus? Let's really feel that God wants to create a moment here for us to just respond to this. And you might be thinking, well, yeah, I follow Jesus and he's the Lord of my life. But I feel like we, even as we prayed earlier and had that time in our music ministry of just really going, going deeper, of, of being more intimate with him, Jesus is calling us today to go more intimate in terms of experiencing the joy that comes from being fully sold out and submitted to him as king. You know, so that's what we're going to do right now. Um pastor from the States, Pastor Tony Evans, he says this, disobedience brings discipline and repentance brings deliverance. And I just want to really encourage us. We are all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God countless times with the choices we've made, just like Israel. And God does discipline those he loves. That's what Hebrews says. God, if, if, if you're a child of God, He's, he's going to discipline us and that's actually for our good and He does it out of love. And not only does God discipline us though, God also restores and delivers those He loves. God restores and delivers those He loves who repent and turn from their own ways and turn back to Him. And that's true whether you're seeking today. That's true whether you've been a Christian for decades today. That is true. God loves nothing more than restoring and, and encouraging and building up and seeing people overcome with joy as he delivers them and those who repent. Because here's the thing. This is something, if we haven't got this yet, friends, we need to get this. We can all easily wander into idolatry. We look at, at Council of Scripture and sometimes i know i used to i used to look at it this way like how can you be so stupid there's like gods over there and you're worshiping this golden calf you guys are tools like that's how i used to think but then if i actually think about my own heart and how prone i am to giving worship to things other than god i'm like you know what i am just the same as those israelites in fact i'm probably worse (laughs) i'd probably be quicker to go to my own idols than you know what i mean like we We are so susceptible to wandering into idolatry, but there's only one true God who is worthy of our affections and there's only one God, one King, who will satisfy us completely, and that's Jesus. So I want to invite you today, maybe as we have some music just played, um, to, to come to Jesus either for the very first time and say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life today. Um, or if, if you, you know you've been a Christian for a while and you're just feeling, you know what? I just want to surrender again. I want to surrender wholeheartedly to Jesus afresh today. Renew my commitment to him and let him truly be king of my life. If that's you today, I want to invite you to come forward in a moment as some music is being played. And I'd love to pray with you and see God raise you up and deliver you and set you on the path everlasting of joy with him. Yes, God, we we just thank you so much that you are the righteous judge. You are the righteous king. You are the almighty who sits on the throne in heaven. And yet, God, while you do that, you're also the beautiful God who loves to presence himself with us. So we just thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that your heart is always to see us grow, to see us walk in obedience to you, to see us flourish as we live in close relationship with you. So I pray for all of us, God, that we would all grow as people who do not, who do not live according to our own rules, we do not live according to our own wisdom or our own might or rely on any of those things. But God, just in every way that we would learn from Israel in the book of Judges, and we would see the, the foolishness of tr- trusting in ourselves, and we would, with your help, Holy Spirit, resolve each and every day to follow you and obey you and enjoy that beautiful relationship and fullness of joy that comes from being close to you. To have your way in us, we pray. Be on the very throne of our hearts, King Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.